Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you this day. Happy hot Monday, Dr. Paul. Another day. Another hot day. <laughs> well, maybe it's time to go to the beach, see how the water is. <laughs> but the beach water in Surfside's probably going to be over 90. <laughs> My daughter took some ice into the pool over the weekend because it was too hot. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I said, that's an expensive way to cool the pool. <laughs> well, this cooled the political atmosphere in this country. <laughs> Boy, that'd be a job. Be well, we won't even pretend. Need a lot of ice. But uh, it, we don't do a whole lot which would be you know, just politics, but the thing I want to talk about today is significant because it has a, a, a lot of importance on how people are thinking. Uh, there are different factions uh, about the election coming up. And yeah. of course, we hear the difference between them. And uh, frequently I'll point out, well, be careful. The difference isn't all that great. Sometimes yeah. they just call it something else, but uh, I think very often their goals are the same. But the fascinating thing going on right now, of course, the first thing is that Republicans are euphoric, and yeah. uh, and they uh, and and they probably are safe in being euphoric that uh, the election is coming up. But uh, I'm always uh, cautioned because I don't see. Uh, uh, much changing over the years. I watched these elections. I can remember listening to the radio with my dad during World War II, and uh, Wendell Wilkie being the candidate and FDR. But afterwards, every, ever since then, everything you know sort of stays the same. But th this one, and I've always resented this argument that this is the most important election yeah. ever. But I'm tempted to think along those lines. You know, things are so bad, and uh, it, it is so messed up. It is, it is significant. But uh, I think in a year or so from now, we'll have to look back and and see if the budget is balanced. <laughs> see if our troops have come home. Yeah. See if the Fed is gone. <laughs> see if the budget is balanced. Hey, that's terrible. None of that stuff's going to happen. That sounds like you're running. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they'll elect well, you. That's going to happen. But anyway, the big thing though is that the change uh you know the last election uh was driven by hate yeah I, that's i'm f firm on that you know uh it wasn't uh it, it wasn't policy because uh, obviously trump was on to something he won the election yeah you know in spite of uh, the people manipulating yeah. you know back in 16 he, he won the election so the people were there but they still the democrats just hated his guts because he was not conventional and uh, he, he, um, he did get the most votes and became president and they couldn't stand it. But since then, uh, during his campaign and even now as if he's never gone away, they, they still hate his guts. Yeah. Visceral. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know, the one reason I don't like anything driven by hate uh, is, is because I don't think it does uh, any, any good. I think it's a drain on the people who do the hating, and the person in that you're hating, he, they never change their ways. So I think it's such a silly thing to be driven by hate, yeah. and that it, and politics is getting worse than ever. This is this is this is hate, and it's amazing how the uh, vitriol continues and against Trump again. But now, all of a sudden, the hardcore progressives, the Democrats who love to hate Trump, are now 
could they ever hate Biden? Yeah. Oh, no, they wouldn't. <laughs> they wouldn't do that. They're too consistent in their hate. So, but the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, they say, they say, well, you know, this guy might have problems. You know, he stumbles a little bit, and it's not always a physical stumble. So uh, they're, they're a definite change here, I would say, in the last month or so. But it seems like it didn't just happen here and a little bit here and there. It seems like there's a crescendo. Yeah. The, that it's a building, and there's much more anti-Biden uh, noise out there, which means to me that the Democrats are through with Biden, but they don't know what to do. And all I can say, well, uh, you, you created your, you created your yeah. own problem. You know, it was, it was your hate toward Trump that gave you Biden. Anybody, anybody, we'll take Biden. And then, of course, they didn't do very well on picking their vice president either. Yeah. So now, they, now they're in a real dilemma. How do we get rid of Biden? Uh, without uh, allowing our vice president to become president. <laughs> so uh, it's sort of, uh, I don't lose sleep over worrying about their problems. Yeah. <laughs> I worry about this. Um, I, I uh, don't, don't get enough sleep when I worry about uh, the, where the country's going if we don't change some of our attitudes uh, about uh, the, the issues that, that are important. But uh, there, there is no doubt that, uh, you know, the ruling by the Supreme Court has really stirred up the animosity. Yeah. So here, the, the big picture, uh, the motivation for the hate and the distortion and the whole reason of the campaign is uh, that we have to have, uh, uh, you know, really, really easy access uh, to killing the unborn. Yep. Isn't it amazing that that is the driving force? Yeah. It's not nuclear weapons or foreign policy or bankruptcy or, or COVID anymore. It is just the fact that there's uh, some interference. There are some delays now because our government, our, our court system has responded. I think pretty much in a constitutional way, this is a difficult problem, yeah. the abortion issue. Uh, they didn't outlaw it, they, and all the noise and lying about what they did do, just, just uh, it doesn't hold, you know, doesn't hold water because that is not what they have, have done. And uh, they are determined that uh, this is the biggest issue, but politically, is it the best thing they can do for their their campaign? Yeah. Because they they probably have. I imagine, I, this is a guess, twenty five percent that vote, vote on only this issue, because even the right to life probably down to twenty five percent. I think people. I I've said it before, and I still believe it. Ultimately, when the people go to the polls, they vote not from their brains or their heart. They vote from their bellies, yeah. and uh, they're worried about their financial outcome, and uh, it's uh, and it's, it's about the economy, and about uh, their, their their whether or not they have a job. So, but this is a. I see it growing. It's a big deal. The Democrats are in a, a real dilemma. Uh, and uh, I, I wish I could get more excited about what the alternative is going to be. <laughs> but all we can do is we can theorize and say, you know, now, if we had something to say, what, we, uh, what the replacement should be like, uh, we can entertain those thoughts and have a little fun doing it. But I also know that if you don't talk about it, if you don't know about it, and you don't describe it, and you don't work for it, there's no chance that anything will improve 
because nobody will have perfect liberty or perfect communism. But one thing for sure, if we do nothing at the rate it's going right now, uh, as the conditions worsen, I think government is going to grow and make all our problems worse. Like you say, it would be nice to have a second party. Because <laughs> while you're right, they are rubbing their hands with glee, the Republicans that is. They can't wait to get in the saddle in November. It's not because they have a lot of new ideas or a lot of superior ideas. It's just because, darn it, it's our turn. <laughs> we want to be at the helm right now. And we know that because on the real issues where there are some real areas where Republicans can forge a different policy, they're identical to the Democrats. I mean, the, the wasting of tens of billions of dollars in Ukraine, and I saw an article saying the level of spending is up there, is getting up to the Afghanistan war level of spending. This money being flushed down the drain is a huge issue that Republicans could pounce on because, as you say, you could easily tie it to voting with your belly. You know, this is why you are paying six bucks a gallon. It's not Putin's price hike, it's Biden's price hike. All of these things are falling in their lap, but they generally agree with the Democrats about war. They don't want to run on being anti-war, uh, even though they have a good example, you know, on and on from Trump. But even back to Obama, he basically ran uh, as one opposed to Bush's stupid war in Iraq. And that project, you know, propelled him into the presidency where, from which, from where he began to launch his own stupid wars, of course. But so when it comes down to the big issues like this, it's literally dropped into their lap. Deal with the foreign policy, yeah. the economics, and they say, no, no, no. We're going to deal with Hunter Biden in his crack pipe or what have you. I know some people are listening to us, uh, only a few. They're saying, well, you guys are off, off, off the track because uh, there's a lot, a lot of difference. But once again, just as you summarized it once uh, there, that foreign policy, there's not a major difference, you know, on the foreign policy, yeah, you know, in the, the military-industrial complex and all of that. <clears throat> but what about, what about the trade policy? Trade policy really is a foreign policy because we believe that the more you trade and travel and interact with other countries, the less likely you are <coughs> to have war with yeah, them. So, and where what did we do? It was Republican Party that actually popularized, repopularized the whole issue of sanctions and tariffs. Yeah. There was a time when conservatives and liberals. Uh, economists and politicians, oh, we, we don't believe in tariffs, uh, we don't believe in free trade, and, and, uh, and the sanctions shouldn't be used like this. But <clears throat> So right now, those issues still exist. And here's what we're getting, uh, here's what we're mostly talking about, and this is something <coughs> we noticed on Zero Hedge, and we've seen it <coughs> elsewhere, you see it all over Twitter, everywhere you go, but the Democrat mainstream media, the pro-Biden mainstream media, has turned against the president. I think it's very, very clear. We can put up the first one. And these are all from the Zero Hedge article, which you can find in the first or second page of Hedge. But this is a tweet from Stephen Miller. This is from the New York Times. That 79 Biden is testing the boundaries of age and the presidency. The next one, CNN. Now, these are the stations that carry the water for Biden all along. They made excuses for him hiding in his basement. Here's CNN. After a string of Supreme Court setbacks, <coughs> Democrats wonder whether Biden White House is capable of urgency, uh, of urgency moment demands. Uh, and so you see the, uh, and there's plenty of other examples in the article, but basically all of a sudden the things you're not supposed to talk about, which is that Biden seems to be having some problems, his administration doesn't seem to be functioning, 
They believe, obviously, CNN at least, that the Supreme Court decisions should finally give the Democrats a raison d'etre, right? Something that they can really run on. Yes, they're denying women the rights. They're putting a gun in every baby's hand as soon as it comes out of the womb, right? But the White House hasn't been very effective in capitalizing on it. So when they're losing the mainstream media, it does, it does make you wonder, we talked about before the show, what do they have in mind? What do the mainstream media have in mind now that they're trying to hobble him? You know, um, one thing that the Democrats that don't like Biden now are most upset is Biden's reaction to the Supreme Court ruling. Yeah, that, that's that's the big issue. And that's why the people are out on the streets right now. And once again, what strikes me is so weird, you know, as in, that's a big issue. I have a strong position on it. But uh, over the years, I've debated people. We look at it and we had an opinion about having the states have more say about it. <clears throat> but this this whole thing, I mean, this is the issue, yeah. the issue of the day. And they're out in the streets uh, uh, like uh, uh, if we don't accomplish this, if we don't facilitate it, but then they have to turn it around and distort and lie about exactly what this ruling said. Yeah, you know, yeah. because uh, it, it changed the jurisdiction is what it did, yeah. uh, and it, and it does make a difference. But it is much closer to what was intended by the Constitution, how you handle difficult situations. And uh, that's, that's why, uh, you, you know, it's such a shame that uh, this has turned into this. But I think, I, I can't help but think that what, how the Democrats are reacting to this, uh, I, I can't believe there's a, a political benefit to this, but I may be biased yeah. by this because I disagree with them. But uh, they they think this is a winner, yeah. and and that that to me is is the sad the sad part about it. Uh, how how can, how if this is the issue of facilitating abortion as the major issue of the world today, uh, that that's a different story. The other statistic that's come out as this debate went on is the when the women uh, women have who the radical progressives have turned out yeah i'm going to have to move them i'm going to have to go over here i'll go down here and have abortion it turns out that we might have uh, you know more lax abortion laws than the rest of the world even european that yeah, we think as yeah. those wild-eyed progressives over yeah. there and some of those countries still have a lot more restrictions on abortion than we do it's very interesting the thing that they, the thing that they don't realize, you know, the Dem, the blue state people, they can't stand the fact that there are things called red states where people are more conservative and they don't believe that abortion is a good thing. The solution to the problem for the progressives, for the Dems on this, is simple. What we've been talking about for a long time is decession, secession. You know, whether it's de facto or whatever, however you have it, secession. You go your way and we'll go ours, and I think that is the essence of the Supreme Court decision. Uh, you know, not that we're going to have a war between the states, but that, hey, if you are a blue state and you like this, then that's fine. But, you know, it's interesting just to return to our first topic is in addition to the mainstream media seemingly turning against Biden and bringing up issues of age and cognitive ability, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you're also seeing, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, you're also seeing these Hunter Biden videos coming out, which are extremely disturbing, to say the least. This, it's not uh, a person of high moral character. Uh, I won't go into the details, but I do wonder if all of a sudden why these are coming out now, particularly when you talk about business connections with his father, if this is maybe the preparation for a way to get rid of poor old Joe. 
Yeah, and that uh, seems to me like a very likely possibility, but the smoothness that they don't have is their problem because they can't do that without a great deal uh, of, of effort. Uh, that, that is the, the, the whole reason why these people continue to build up and build hate in order to motivate the people to stick, stick by yeah. uh, the, these, these positions. And uh, ultimately, though, as discouraging as it is, as we mentioned, ah, there's not enough uh, you know, uh, bipartisanship. People don't stand up and, and state it state what their positions are and and they, they do but they're in both parties yeah. is, is the problem but we still have enough freedom to see that uh the philosophy that is important can energize enough people to come out and demonstrate and say peacefully so yeah, yeah. demonstrate and say we've had enough of this we've had enough of lockdown and that is the way the Vietnam War ended. Yeah. It ended in a disaster, a surrender, admission of, of, uh, of all this stupidity and needless deaths. So that, uh, but the people showed up. And that, but of course it caused, it wasn't war, but it was war on the streets in this country. There was a lot of killing here and a lot of violence and a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of competition there. So there's reason for us to keep, you know, encouraging people to stand up. Yeah. and uh, do what they did when they were annoyed with lo uh, lockdown or they get tired of if any of these other issues. <clears throat> Maybe it'll be just, you know, well, if, the media, if, if his own friends, if Biden's own friends are turning against him and say, hey, we can't defend this guy anymore, maybe there's going to be a groundswell by Democrats. Yeah. And that's what I think is happening. They, want, they, they have to get rid of him. They cannot have him running into, against Trump yeah, in two years. That, that is not going to happen. Uh, they'll, force, they'll force a resignation or something. And they are, I, I think they will not have Trump and they are not going to have Harris run. They, they have to clean house. And uh, I just hope the Republicans aren't, well, in it. I hope they're not inept so badly yeah, yeah. that they can't, you know, encourage it without digging a hole for themselves. Well, I think the other shoe to watch to drop will be if the mainstream media starts grabbing onto some of these Hunter Biden stories, and they haven't thus far. But could you imagine if a video emerged of Don, Donald Trump Jr. walking around naked with a gun in one hand, a bag of crack cocaine in the other, oh, in a room full of prostitutes, right? Oh, they wouldn't, they wouldn't mention that out of, you know, out of deference to his privacy rule, right? <laughs> So we'll have to see what happens there. But we should move on because we could probably talk about this for a long time. But we should talk a little bit about the Europeans because I think this is also very important. You can put that next clip up. And we've mentioned this before. But these are polling coming out of Europe. Uh, and this is again from Hedge. Majority of Europeans are unwilling to pay the price to defend democracy in Ukraine. And we're seeing this all over Europe, Dr. Paul. We see it in the farmers' protests. We're seeing it in collapsing governments from Estonia to Albania uh, to the UK. We're seeing more and more of this. And you can see this is a Eurobarometer poll that came out a little while ago. We can do this next one and, and just look at the numbers here. Are you willing to pay more in energy prices uh, for sanctions in Russia against the U Ukraine situation? Uh, 58 people said no on energy prices and 59% said no on food prices across Europe. They are not, by a significant majority, 
almost six in ten are not willing to pay the price for uh, attacking Russia economically. And, in, and I just want to show one other thing before I send it over to you, Dr. Paul, uh, if we can put on that next clip, because this is incredible, and this is why they are, Europeans are revolting, in a manner of speaking. <coughs> this is from the, um, the Bild am Sonntag, the uh, news on Sunday. Some cities in Germany are planning to open special public spaces during the cold season, where it will be possible to warm those who cannot cope with rising utility prices during the crisis. This is Germany, Dr. Paul, and you can imagine what it must feel like to Germans to see themselves as the once powerhouse, economic powerhouse of Europe. They were powering all of Europe, and now they're huddled communally in heated rooms because they can't afford to pay their own heating bills. Psychologically, that must be torturous. Well, you know, the one picture I saw the other day in the United States is a bit disturbing, too. That There was a church that wanted to help the homeless, yeah. and they were given, they were providing homes for them. But they were big boxes, what they were. Yeah. But they, they looked... Maybe, oh, I saw that. They look nice. Yeah, they look like a house and all this. But yeah, how many square feet? Maybe enough for two sleeping bags yeah. or something <laughs> like that. So that that is all a result of uh, mismanagement that we've depended on by government. And that's why we have to eventually uh, change all that. <clears throat> From that article you mentioned, I want to uh, read one sentence because we... Uh, have frequently mentioned that just the issue of inflation is a tax uh, on the people, is a sinister uh, tax, and it usually affects the poor and the middle class most, most because the prices go up and that's where the real tax is. But in this article, and this is international, they're talking about uh, 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 on Zero Hedge, both Ukraine and Russia are among the world's biggest exporters of wheat and other grains. That's pretty significant. The conflict is threatening food security across the globe, especially in the poorer regions that rely on imports from both countries. Yeah. So all this mischief, all this thing happens. You know, you know uh, the uh, people that we know that are in the political class, and we pointed it out so often when they wrote all the laws for lockdown, they themselves never followed yeah. it, and they never suffered the same way. But they, this is just another point. Uh, you know, what, and this is mainly dealing with the food uh, shortages. But what about the energy shortages? You know, and you know the thing that baffles me is why have the Europeans been so willing, you know, to go along with some of our advice and yeah. our to say, oh yeah, let's just quit, let's just put on, uh, you know, tariffs on Russian oil. Oh, oh yeah, that'll bring them to their knees. Yeah. <laughs> it brought them to their pocketbooks, and their pocketbooks—they had to get a new pocketbook. Yeah. They were making so much money. So, but they—they—they uh, they, they continue to do the same thing yeah. over and over again, which is a tragedy. But I think the Europeans are starting to get frustrated with this. You know, I had Jeff Deist on the show Thursday when you were uh, playing hooky, and uh, <laughs> and he made the great point that yes, there's a lot of pain in in Western Europe and in the U.S. over rising food prices. And that's going to be very uncomfortable for our pocketbooks. But while we are struggling to make ends meet and eating, people in Africa and the developing world are not going to be eating. So as you, as you suggest in that, in that line, oh, I, it's, I know. it's a big deal. And, 
and the, 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 this gives this gives food uh, for the uh, uh, people who believe in uh, in population control. Yeah, Bill yeah. Gates will Bill say, Gates "Oh, look, it. this yeah. is what I've been telling you. That's why I'm going to buy up the land, <laughs> yeah. and uh, nobody can touch it. No, you can't. You can't grow anything." But uh, it's Malthusianism, and I was taught once about Malthus that uh, sounded good. But it didn't really work, and it was totally unnecessary. That was uh, many, many years before they had modern farming. And, yeah. uh, but uh, the only thing is that there are problems. But uh, the big problem is, is that they let government economic planning manage it, and that's where the real, real, real trouble comes in. Yeah. So well, let's put on that next clip, if you can, because this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Spent a lot of time living in this country, uh, and uh, this is Hungary. And this is something we notice on Hedge. U.S. retaliates against Hungary for obstructing the 15% global minimum tax. And you wonder, wow, Hungary, well, they must be having that tax up at 40 or 50% and we're mad at them. No, they had it down to 9% and we said, Hungary, you better raise those taxes or we're going <laughs> to get in trouble. Yeah, that's it. Because they had just recently, and not, not, not too distant, uh, uh, passed the the corporate tax rate was 19. They took down the nine. Yeah, yeah. They should be praised. But here we are, the champions of liberty, <laughs> and as they say, democracy, <laughs> which annoys me to no end because uh, it is the authoritarianism of uh, the dictatorship of the democracies yeah. that people use because they can intimidate and regulate and uh, control, you know, a majority vote. It, so this this is a, such a shame. Fifteen percent of the global minimum tax on corporate income, but uh, but there's two things here: taxes. That's the issue. But the other part that is so bad is the uh, globalism. The yeah. it's a it's a you have to. You have to comply. You can't stand out. You can't do what's your own. Uh, that's why it's so annoying to see the European countries roll over. Uh, and they're rolling over less now than they used to. But I always predicted the European Union won't work because I, I, I just figured there was a lot of independent thinking culturally and socially that just won't bring them together. But economically, it means they don't generally agree on, on economic and, and tax policy. Besides, the purpose of the, of the various states in this country, and it's worked here, uh, you know, say on the abortion issue, that you have a freedom to go to different places. If you're really messing up, go to a state that's better managed. Yeah. But in Europe, they have now have a lot less of that, even though they say, we are a European country and we can go and travel and work where we want. Well, it hasn't worked out quite as well as they had hoped. And I think there's a little bit more than meets the eye to this. The, the Biden administration announced it's going to terminate this 43-year-old treaty with Hungary over in protest of them refusing to implement the 15% corporate minimum tax. Uh, as you say, they went down to nine. This is one of the pillars of Biden's Build Back Better plan, which I'm sure is doing very well. Um, but I think there are other issues here. Hungary has been very reluctant to shoot itself in the head over sanctions with, uh, against Russia. They get a lot of their energy from Russia, and they're not super eager to freeze to death over the winter. Imagine that. And they also have refused to uh, tra allow transshipment of weapons. They don't want to be part of this war in any way. And part of that, of course, is because you have a big group of ethnic Hungarians living inside Hung uh, Ukraine's borders. There are a lot of other issues, but that infuriates Biden and the Biden administration. They want all these little countries 
to be just in lockstep. That's exactly how Moscow was for 70 years of the Soviet Union. All the little satellites need to be in lockstep with what Moscow says. Well, now Washington wants that same thing. And Hungary, uh, under Viktor Orban, has said no consistently. The European Union wanted to settle millions of refugees everywhere, and Hungary said, no, we're, we're going to pass on that. <laughs> and that infuriated them. So they have gone their own way on many things. And I think this is a retaliation from the Biden administration uh, for a number of different reasons. And, and they're on the right track, and they're doing so much better than, than the others. But they still got too close, and things rubbed off on them, because to even exist, uh, all of a sudden, there is the transfer of wealth from one country to another. So they're, you know, when, when they had lockdown and the war in Ukraine, all of a sudden, uh, there were some uh, uh, financial burdens, uh, you, you know, for... Uh, uh, for for their government, the Hungarian government. So they're saying, well, we we need we need a little bit of a reimbursement. Yeah. You know, we participated, and that's probably a mixed bag. But I think I can understand how you get into those traps. But it also is the argument for our case. Don't get that close. You got to get too close, and they're they're not going to treat you fairly. You know, yeah. if you're, <clears throat> they'll treat you right if you do exactly what they say, and that's what. That's what the government is. That's what our government's doing right now with our corporation. Yeah. That's why we're, we have this corporatism because they have so much of a clout over our business community. The businessman has to toe the line uh, and do what the government says, you know, on the lockdown and all the silliness that they have. Or uh, we will, we will uh, you know, punish you. And they have so much power now to punish. Uh, freedom should be free, you yeah. know, and it shouldn't be a participant in uh, worldwide government globalism. And you don't need uh, much government to live in a free society, I'll tell you. You know, our good friend Colonel McGregor at the very beginning of this conflict uh, predicted it would be signal the end of the EU and NATO. And I think we may see this because it's all fine and dandy when that gravy train from Germany is spreading out euros everywhere. But that gravy train has run out of coal, it's run out of steam, yeah. and it's sputtering to a halt. And when the goodies stop flowing, there's going to be a real day of reckoning. And I think that's probably what we're seeing, or going to be seeing here pretty soon. Well, we should consider that point. When will we run out of our ability to flood the world with Federal Reserve notes? And right now, uh, we, we've been able to get away with that for many, many decades because we can print the reserve currency of the world. So I would say we will run out, too, when the world gives up on uh, the dollar as being the world currency. But the conditions are such now that everybody else has been messed up so bad they're, they're still working with the dollar. Yeah. But then who, who's talking about uh, gold and uh, other alternatives uh, for purchases? And that's Russia and China. That's what really infuriates <laughs> people because they can't do that. This is, and they're stealing capitalism that's from us. Uh, we we want to have more control of them. Yeah. So. Well, I'm going to close out if that's okay. And just put on that next clip. I'm going to remind our viewers if you or someone you know are an upper division undergrad or grad student, apply today to be a 2022 Ron Paul Scholar. And you'll see this is the front page of the Ron Paul Institute, ronpaulinstitute.org. You can click on that link. Here's a picture of Representative Massey doing the keynote speech last year. We, we just signed on a couple of new professors that we have not had before, and I'm super excited. They're both really great people who I admire. It's going to be a very, very good, it's a one-day seminar. Uh, for these students, uh, the day before our Washington conference, these students will be allowed to participate 
in the Washington Conference, there is a scholarship available to those who are selected to defer the costs of attending thanks to our generous donors. So what do you have to lose? Be a 2022 Ron Paul Scholar. There's a lot of competition, but here's the good news. The application is pretty easy. So go over there, click on the link, do your best, and we look forward to seeing you. We've already had two classes. This will be our third class. I think I, I love this program. I think it's great, and we're really excited. And also the last clip, just to remind everyone, get your tickets, Anatomy of a Police State, September 3rd, 2022, at the Weston Washington Dulles Airport. Great speakers. We announced last week that our good friend Jeff Deist of the Mises Institute will be joining us. We have a bunch of other announcements to make uh, of other speakers, but why wait? Get your tickets today. Get the early bird special. Save some money less than last year and come join us. So, Dr. Paul? Very, very good. <clears throat> very good. And I want to finish up with talking up and following up on this issue of uh, the political system driven by hate. And we certainly have seen that. And it's, it's, there's no monopoly on it, but obviously there was one side that a lot more than the other. But on the philosophy, I, I think the two parties agree way too much. And now the contest is only on power. And that's when the love and the hate can uh, uh, be, be hated and distorted to uh, get, keep, keep the power. And uh, there, there's a contest going on in that about who, who can hate the most. And I, it's real easy for me to remind myself that hate is not worth anything. Hey, hate, I'm a very, very selfish person. I have, everybody has a natural tendency to want to take care of themselves and, and uh, take care of their families. And, and some people might call that selfishness. But in a way, it's looking to your own responsibility to, uh, to care for oneself and your, and your family. And, uh, and I think the best way to do that is to avoid the temptation to really get annoyed with these terrible people who want to provoke you by just bugging you and really are hateful and they use political power to do it because it takes too much energy, too much energy. That doesn't mean you have to accept it. It means you have to work harder and you have to use a technique of bringing people together and pointing out the fallacy of their ideas. That, to me, will preserve the uh, ability to do that. But if, if it's driven by hate, and I think that's where the Democrats are right now, everything's been driven by hate and they're falling apart. But uh, they, they don't have a monopoly of this, uh, of this position. But right now, they're in a mess. So all the hate, they expend all the energy they expended, you know, uh, uh, during uh, uh, Trump's uh, campaign, 416, and what he went, what he did in the office and what he's doing now. Uh, it's, it's a negative. It is it, people who think that, well, I can return more hate than they can, and that's going to enhance me, and then I can beat them because I'm going to be more hateful and I'll have more power. Guess what? It backfires on it. Those individuals uh, end up short. And, and, and I think that's what's happened, uh, you know, to the progressive era. We've complained about the progressives unwilling to be civil libertarians anymore. They don't want to be allies with the libertarians. They, they don't, uh, they're not, uh, you know, progressives on wars. They are more anxious to be, be part of the military industrial complex, these whole things. So the hate drives it in the wrong direction. And besides, you get a bonus. You feel a little bit better about it because there's a cost when you put all your energy into hating people and think you can gain peace and prosperity that way. We have a different solution for gaining peace and prosperity, and that is the promotion of liberty.
Thank you for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.